This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a podcast that has certainly at least received one one-star review. We, we don't know if it's just one. It could be more than one. Uh, but as far as we can tell, there's at least one one-star review. One, at least two-star review as well on iTunes. Which which is a reminder to let everyone know I'm your I'm Matt, your host, who's not thin-skinned at all seeing those reviews. And I'm joined <laughs> by Pastor Michael today. Yes, I'm here, uh, and despite the uh, anxiety-inducing one-star review, I'm willing to continue this endeavor. I'd like a, just a DM on Twitter if you're the person who gave us the one-star review, MR, MR Klein. You can find me, and just let me know why. Uh, just, <laughs> I just need to talk to you, because I'm not thin-skinned about this at all. <laughs> Especially today, when we're announcing giveaways that's right we have a giveaway so it's actually been a little while uh, in the making uh over a month ago now it's actually been quite a while i think we just kind of kept forgetting to do this admittedly and so uh, like we've said before this is not our day job uh this brings in no money <laughs> so uh we do many things on the side and so sometimes we uh lose track a little bit but we did promise on the episode where we talked about uh, the book that I wrote 77 times, which you can still get on Amazon. And now it's Kindle. in Kindle. Yeah, this is the perfect version. time to remind everyone now, go out and make a purchase of the Kindle version of that book. Yeah. So 77 times Reflections on Forgiveness by Michael J. Bowman. You can find it pretty much anywhere that you can get books. Uh, but we decided on that episode that we would give out two of these books. And so uh, we do have an announcement of the giveaways. We have uh, Mary C. I won't say her last name, but Mary C. We've emailed you and are just waiting on getting uh, your address at this point. And we will send you a book. Five so, star review from Mary. Yeah. Congratulations. And we are grateful that you listen to us. We do have uh, we do have one more review as well that I just chose somewhat at random or uh, according to my own uh, inner desires. Uh, and so we have an Apple podcast review by somebody called Pedantry in Motion. And let me read the review. It says an excellent, thoughtful, and entertaining podcast, which I would agree. It's a five-star review. It says, as someone who's been adjacent to YRR Circles, I have found this podcast really helpful for contextualizing recent movements and trends in the evangelical church. I've also found this podcast to be funny, informative, and edifying, which might become one of our new taglines for the podcast. Funny, Thank you, informative, and edifying. Now, we don't know who you are. So if you are pedantry in motion, then we need you to reach out to us, Restless Podcast. Restless, restless podcasting <laughs> at gmail.com this is how bad i am at these things restless podcasting at gmail.com reach out to us and we will uh send you a book if you get a hold of us we will be doing future giveaways especially because we have some pretty exciting news this reformation day because as you may not know our podcast being a great podcast started on reformation day is coming at its one year anniversary we've been doing this for a year we are going to have a party. We are going to talk about the origins of Restless. But what we also want to do is we want to do a reaction show. We want to answer questions. We want to get criticism. We want to get feedback. And we just want to talk uh, with our listeners. 
We also, if we get submissions, we'll play Yay, Nay, or Nuance, a, a restless game you may have heard us play. We might explain that later. But please, just send us tweets, send us emails. You... I think you should send us uh, audio recordings of you Ooh, saying happy birthday to Restless. Oh, please do. And please add a question. So, yeah, you can send the audio recordings to restlesspodcasting at gmail.com, or you can send them on Facebook. And maybe you can send them on Twitter, but you can send them there. Please send us audio recordings with questions, comments, criticisms. We will play them on the show. We will even play you if you are the person who gave us the one-star review explaining why. We would love to hear it. We really would. We will play it. But maybe even bigger news. Not as big a news as Restless Summer was. But Pastor Michael, Winsome Winter is coming. Winsome winter. Here we go. <laughs> you know, I know some people do other things, but this time of year, we felt like we want to bring everyone together with some winsome content this winter. This is what Restless is for, ultimately, to uh, bring us all together. So that's what we're going to do. And so more specifically, in case you're like, what is what is winsome winter? One, I'll get to say that a lot. Two, we're going to try and make some episodes specifically geared towards uh, your friends and you, if you are in a more broadly evangelical church, because we know many of our listeners are. And sometimes I feel like we have a lot of people on who we might call truly reformed or or come at questions from a very specific reformed confessional lens, which we do. But we want to make sure we're able to continue to, yeah, bring the Reformation out and further out. And especially with us doing this Mark Driscoll content, we have listeners from all over the spectrum, which is great. And so we're going to do, yeah, different content. We're going to have someone come explain the SBC to us. We're going to tell you what we think Big Eva is. We might talk about exvangelicals, but we would like you to tell us what are the things going on in evangelicalism and the evangelical church, which we love, that you would like us to have, what, entertaining, informed, and... I already lost it. <laughs> and win some takes this winter. So that's all. That's kind of the big news. Pastor Michael, what do you think about all we've got going? It sounds great. This is, I mean, this is huge. This is why this introduction is so long <laughs> before we get into the content, because there is so much happening here at Restless. And so without further ado, we will get into the Restless content of today. We are going to give you a foretaste of this winsome winter with some reactions to some not new Calvinists, but some more mainline evangelical people. And we are going to go back to a treasure trove of content, which we could do all the time, which is asking the question, is Calvinism biblical? Now, what do we mean by Calvinism? Certainly in this video, we mean the doctrines of grace. Pastor Michael, would you just quickly lay out your understanding of the doctrines of grace before we ask Greg Laurie himself to answer is Calvinism biblical? Yeah, so easiest, uh, fastest way, if not the most thorough way to maybe lay this out is the common acronym TULIP. Um, so we talk about total depravity, that sinfulness has impacted every single area of our lives. There's no part of us that is untouched by sin. And so we are rebels of heart. We're in rebellion to God. Uh, we, are, we are dead in our flesh. And so we need saving from outside. It cannot start with us. Uh, we then talk about 
unconditional election that God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, not on the basis of anything that we have done, not on the basis of, of works done in righteousness, but purely on the basis of his own uh, desire and mercy, his own good purpose and will, uh, according to, uh, according to uh, nothing other than that. I mean, this is, this is it. Uh, we then talk about the idea of limited atonement, or you know, uh, maybe a better way to put it is particular redemption. That Christ died for those who were elect. That uh, His death uh, actually accomplished the salvation of those whom He died for. He did not make it possible for some to be saved, but He uh, actually saved those whom He died for. Uh, irresistible grace that uh, you know uh, God has uh, not uh, offered us up. Uh, in a sense, a choice that is going to be, you know, uh, taken or not, but rather we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead in the grave and he has brought us back from the dead. And, uh, we are going to accept this, you know, call of, of redemption, uh, this call in the gospel. And, uh, finally, the idea of the, the perseverance of the saints that, uh, those who, have been justified, will also be sanctified, will also be glorified, uh, that all those who have true salvation will be saved in the end, um, that, that uh, none will be lost whom Christ has died for. So that's a, a quick, you know, uh, very, very fast rundown um, as far as we think about this. Maybe another way, way to just think about it is kind of the difference between monergism and synergism, that, uh, you know, salvation is all of God. It's something that God has done. It's something that, you know, he has been the active party in. Uh, and rather than being something that God has made, you know, his moves toward us. And now we have to, you know, uh, do our part uh, as far as it goes. So he's opened the door and we have to walk through it or, or, or something like that. That's right. I think that's a, a great summary. And we are about to listen to a clip uh, from a Greg Laurie sermon. In case you don't remember, Greg Laurie is the senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel, right? He has the super popular Christian radio show of the the Harvest Bible Crusades isn't it? So it's Harvest Christian Fellowship. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Because Harvest Bible Chapel isn't that uh, that's uh, oh yeah 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 Harvest Christian Fellowship. James McDonald. Yeah. Yes. Yep. They're different. They're they different. are different. They are different. And he, and he is part of the he does the Harvest Crusades. Right. This church has you know more than ten thousand people and very well known. Very well. He's kind of seen a lot of times as like the next Billy Graham, right? Like he, right. he helped write Billy Graham sermons when Billy Graham was super old and wasn't writing his evangelistic right. crusade messages anymore. And so I, I just saw this video and decided Pastor Michael and I had to react because it's called, is Calvinism biblical? The answer might surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Michael, <laughs> what answer could he give that would surprise you? I, I, so the answer that would surprise me from Greg Laurie is yes, yes it's yeah. biblical. <laughs> and you know what the second most surprising answer for me would be? Like a hard no, like a no, like a like a definitive dogmatic no. Yes would be most surprising. But taking that strong of a stand in the other direction? I don't know. I feel like he takes a pretty strong stance against Calvinism sometimes. So we'll see. All right. Let's let's give it a try. Let's 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 roll this. And uh this has 150,000 views. Um we'd sure like we'd sure like this podcast to go out to that many people. Theological pretzels over the teaching of free will and predestination. What do those terms mean? Well, predestination. 
means that God knows everything. God decides everything and God chooses us before we choose him. Predestined. I'm going to stop you, stop you right there, Greg. Just because, is that what, if that's what predestined means, God knows everything and, and God chooses everything, we are, we are not in a theological distinctive of Calvinism right now. We not are yet. in basic biblical doctrines of God. He did add at the end. God chooses you before you choose him. So he's, it's at least within the wheelhouse, right? In fact, Jesus even said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and you would go forth and bring forth much fruit. But then there's free will. All those verses in the Bible that appeal to our will, John 3, 16, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Revelation 22, whosoever will let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Christ himself saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we get confused. We go, wait, wait, do we choose or does God predestine us? So Pastor Michael, maybe it would be useful <laughs> for us before we get too far into this video what how do you as a presbyterian pastor what do you do when someone says well i guess you don't believe john 316 <laughs> where you where you does it confuse you no it doesn't confuse me at all i mean so there's there's no contradiction between the idea that um everybody who believes is going to be saved is going to be given eternal life and the idea that everyone who believes is going to be those whom God elected in Christ before the foundation of the world. Both mm -hmm. of those things are perfectly compatible. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with that. So um, even when we talk about like the call of Christ, the call of the gospel, mm -hmm. the, the call that says, come and drink all who will. Well, yeah. So like, I completely agree with that. This is, this is the call of the gospel. Um, and it is something that is going to be received by all those who have hearts that have been transformed by the working of God's spirit. And obviously, and I'm not blaming Greg Lawyer for not doing this, but the argument people use verses like this, or you must please God, right? All the all these verses of commands to come or commands to do anything in the Bible, when that is read through a lens of therefore, there's actually an implicit argument. And that I realized maybe this would just be one helpful thing for our listeners to know is what is the implicit argument? The implicit argument is if there is a command in the Bible or a call for you to come, you have the ability to do so. And now the only reason I know that it's not because I'm a genius, but it's because in the Reformation, this is the precise argument Erasmus made to Luther about the freedom of the human will. He said, if God commands us to keep his commands, if he commands us to repent, if he commands us to believe, humans must have the ability in and of themselves to do so. Um, now we might we might say something like, he might have said after they're baptized, they have to have the ability to do so. Or God gives, some people might say, God gives everyone enough grace to do so. But the argument when you put that in there is if there is a demand of the Bible that we come, you have the ability to do it. Yeah. And I think that uh, it also comes down to like just the contextual reading of scripture where uh, you have a lot of, a lot of times, and we'll see where this goes from here. Uh, but a lot of times we approach the Bible with a particular philosophical view of what exactly free will means, what exactly our agency means. So that the, the very fact of our experience of choosing things, what that means as like a, a total comprehensive worldview, it becomes part of like how we determine um, everything on a spiritual level. 
Um, and I think that there's a way that you could even say from scripture um, that uh, there is a sense, uh, I want to word this properly because it gets very, I mean, it can get very difficult, uh, but uh, we would not say that uh, everyone who hears that call and rejects it, rejects it was without a choice. It's just that they, they had already chosen, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's we're dead in our sins. We are rebels to God. Uh, as C.S. Lewis puts it, you know, uh, like uh, hell is going to be the only place in the afterlife with the door locked from the inside, right? The idea that, you know, all who uh, end up in hell are not there thinking, oh man, I wish I would have made a different choice. It's you're an eternal rebel. You're a rebel against God. Um, you needed to have your heart changed. And so uh, even here, like you have to get into some of these more like difficult contextual matters, even to understand what it would mean well, I'm called to this, therefore I must be able to do it. Well, it depends on what you mean even by that statement. Right. Well, let, let me just read John 3, 16 through 18 and just make two observations about why, if you're a Calvinist, why even, again, right, we have this belief that the most apparent original reading of anything in the Bible must be the, the correct meaning, which is not a good way to read the Bible because a lot of the, I just said this the other day and my friend's like, wow, you should really copyright that. Theology is hard. <laughs> like not theology matters. You know, a restless not, book. We've not, got it. Yeah. We've just theology is hard. Yeah. And, and that, but what we assume is that the clarity of scripture means whatever is most apparent to the, a first time reader today is its meaning. That is a bad hermeneutical Very principle. Bad. So let me just read John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son of God. So we see here already, it says there is a, a person who doesn't receive Christ is already condemned. Right. You're already in. Because you're already in your sin. sins. That's right. You're, you are already under the wrath of God. And when I say, who did Jesus die for? I say, whoever believes in him. Yeah. Jesus died for whoever believes in him. So just so but when you hear these kinds of things, I just wanted to kind of throw out this, this implicit argument. And now we can. So what I'm saying is that I know Greg Laurie thinks we might be in a pretzel and it might be, you know, too hard, but I think it is a little bit simpler. So we'll, we'll go back to the clip, but that's because that's way too much on this already. <laughs> Calvinism, uh, which is usually called total depravity, uh, means that you're so depraved and dead in your sin, you don't even have the ability to choose at all. You have to be awakened by the Spirit if you've been chosen by God, and you better just hope you have not been predestined to hell. Because they believe, some believe that you're predestined to hell, and others are predestined to heaven. I reject that completely. Okay. What? Greg Laurie, <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> well, I I was wrong. I did not expect him to. Here's why he hasn't it. said it's not biblical. He's that only said true. he rejects. That it. is true. <laughs> oh man, good call. Greg Laurie <laughs> does not answer if this is biblical, but he rejects it completely. Yeah, not yet. He might. We've still got some clips. So left. what is he rejecting, Pastor Michael? Um, so he just rejected uh, a kind of fatalism that completely takes man's choice out of the question, basically. Mm -hmm. 
right? So he just rejected a caricature of Calvinism. And this is honestly, so this is what's, what's difficult is that uh, on a preliminary, like uh, first time you see it basis, especially if you've been steeped in a, a modern understanding of personal autonomy and individual revivalism, and revivalism, and personal, I mean, this is raise your hand. The very idea, I mean, free will is so central to not just, it's not just like certain Christian uh, doc, Christian teachings in like the broader evangelical world. Um, but like, it's so central such as like, you know, Arminianism and, and everything like that, but it's so central uh, to our culture in general, right? So it's, it's central to the very, like fundamental aspects of modernity. And so uh, it is, we're just steeped in this. So the first time you encounter the idea that, you know, maybe you are not in as much control as you think you are, maybe you are not sovereign, in other words, um, that is a shock, that is a shocking thing. And it does great against our nature. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because we're totally depraved. Uh, <laughs> it's because we're already dead in our sins. But uh when uh, when you hear that, it can be difficult. And this is one of the issues that you get when you have cage-staged Calvinism, when you have, you know, Calvinism as it is um, kind of divested of the tradition and the confessions that it was birthed out of, um, that like when it's just, I'm an evangelical and I've just discovered these five points. A lot of times what it turns into is actually what I think Greg Laurie is rejecting. Hmm. And so we can do more on that sometime, but um, I've literally had people tell me, Hey, like I have these friends that tell me they're Calvinists and I don't like Calvinism. And I know that you're, you know, a Calvinist, a Presbyterian. So let's talk about it. And they'll say, well, my friends told me that, you know, Calvinism means that we're just robots and like everything's just pre-programmed and, and there's no, like, there's no choosing, there's no agency. Yeah. And I was like, no, that's like, you're just saying that like, nobody actually says that they're like, no, they like, they use the analogy of robots. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, all right. So like there, there are people that are making it seem this way. Now I think Greg Laurie could go out of his way and find people who are actually defending. Yeah, this, is, this is the problem. Greg Laurie's a 68 year old pastor yes. who wow is he 68 yeah who Man. potentially should be a bit more educated but i do yeah. i do think you're still making your your point is very valid Maybe. yeah so what he is rejecting here i would mostly also reject right not you know some of the stuff he said i'm like oh no that sounds good right <laughs> i mean that sounds that sounds right the, that sounds biblical the ultimate cause of all things are the decree of god that's right god has god has ordained whatsoever comes that's to pass right. for his glory including the final the final I don't know what we'd call it, the final place of all people who've right. ever lived. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, like, we don't want to deny that by any means. But also, he does so without doing any injustice to yes. the will of man to... It, yes, yes. Yeah, so it, it, so it does not uh, abrogate uh, the, idea, the idea of secondary causes, right? right. So, so man is still fully culpable, responsible. We still make decisions, in other words. So this goes back to what I was saying before, when I said, like, there's... It's not as though uh, somebody is going to uh, wind up under the judgment of God uh, and say, oh, no, uh, this isn't what I wanted, right? There, there's no such thing. When you read the scripture, it's, it doesn't talk about people who, like, they, they stand before the throne of God, they're cast into hell, and in hell, they say, well, now I want to repent. That right. doesn't happen. No. They will, there will be more sinning in hell than there ever was. That's right. No, it earth. just continues. Right. So that, and that's the nature of sin. It's the nature of, 
of this kind of judgment. And, and we will, again, if there's interest, we can do a, an entire episode discussing the that human action and human causation and God's action. I Let me try and state it in a way that's very simple. Do not operate on the same plane at all. That's right. Human causality is not in competition with divine causality because it's completely divine causality completely transcends any human cause. Yeah. So sometimes we think about it like a pie chart, right? And so there's like, okay, well, if I have, you know, this much of the pie that, you know, I choose what socks I put on in the morning and I choose, you know, what kind of food I want to eat today. And I choose whether or not I'm going to go to church and I choose, you know, like I make these decisions. Um, therefore God can't be the one making these decisions because I'm the one right. making them. Otherwise I'm not free. I'm, I'm an automaton. I'm, I'm some kind of a robot or something like that. Um, but so we think about it like a pie chart. Okay. I got, you know, if I've got 25%, you know, God can only have 75%. Otherwise I don't have this 25%. Uh, but really like our freedom is subsumed within the freedom of God, right? The, the freedom that we have, whatever it is, is defined by who God already is, what he has already done, what he is doing. I mean, it, it's defined by him, right? right? It's within him in a sense. And I would reject any theological system that limits the creator's freedom to act based on anything the creature can do. That's right. So that's my, that's my retort, Greg. Yeah. Back at Come you. on, Greg. <laughs> Wait, but we'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah. God has not predestined anyone for hell. Because the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And some will take it so far as to say, well, I don't even want to preach the gospel because I might give false assurance to the non-elect. Are you serious? Do you think Greg Laurie's ever met an actual hyper-Calvinist? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so in case you're wondering, there is a very small, but a group that we do refer to hyper-Calvinists that do not believe in preaching the gospel really outside the visible church for this reason, based on they believe providentially all those will be saved are basically in the church and therefore preaching the gospel outside is, is wrong, is against the providence of God. But I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Almost nobody has met one of these people. Right. But, you know, like, so I've met people that grew up in churches that were like this. Huh. But even them, like even in these more hyper-Calvinist churches, they were still preaching the gospel. They right. just weren't doing it outside of the, you know, uh, meeting on the Lord's Day. So like that's that's kind of what it was like. Um, now, so uh, yes, like there are, there are people that take things too far. Uh, but the idea that this is representative of Calvinism right. is just silly. So Pastor Michael, do you want to answer his question? Is anyone predestined for hell? Yeah. So the, I mean, the, again, he's trying to dichotomize the like personal choice and the predestination of God. Yeah, so um, God has uh, in his uh, good uh, grace and, and providence, he has decreed from the beginning of time, all things that will come to pass, everything that will come to pass. Um, and what that means, by the way, like, so we, we use that kind of terminology, but what that means is that there is nothing outside of the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And if you say otherwise, then what you are saying is that there are things outside of God's control, outside of the sovereignty of God. But God isn't willing that any should perish. That's yeah. What... And so whenever we talk about these different passages, again, what we do is we try to pit these different Bible passages against each other instead of taking them as a whole, instead of understanding them uh, in 
in a more comprehensive, difficult way, right? So theology is hard. Right. And there are passages that speak about God's decretive will. There are also passages that speak about his permissive will. There are, so uh, God is, it, it is not God's will that you sin, correct? I mean, mm -hmm. it, right. right? God does not will that we would sin. And yet we know that Christ is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, that it was uh, decided, that God decided um, before Christ ever came that he would die on the cross. Okay, this is the greatest and worst of sins that has ever come to pass, right? But this is central to the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost, that this was all part of the plan of God that this would happen, that this was the, the plan of God from the beginning. Uh, and so you have the, the worst of all possible sins has taken place as part of the sovereign will of God. And so the very idea that like, you know, everything else is outside of the pale is just, no, like this, this is where you start. You actually start at where it's, it's most clear. Um, and then you move on from there. So um, again, these are different theological categories. So whenever we talk about God and how he interacts with people, um, the, the Bible does not use language that is always uh, used in the same way that we use language. So th there's a lot of analogical language. Um, there's a lot of language that is is used in such a way to help us comprehend the things of God uh, as much as is possible. And yet we're still dealing with an infinite God who is eternal, who is outside of time. And that very idea, you know, like right. you know, when everything that we are experiencing is within time and it's bound by time, um, it makes it difficult to actually, uh, you know, try to reason our way from ourselves out, which is why we have to start with the scripture itself and what it speaks about. Um, and, uh, you know, it's speaking about God working all of these things according to the counsel of his will. Yeah. So let's, let's keep going. I also, maybe the only thing I'll add is theology is hard, but also the Bible is coherent, right? So that, that is the, when we have these discussions, the, well, let's pepper out verses. Oh, it's too hard. Well, you can't say anything that would appear to disagree with the most apparent meaning of this verse is not a good way to do theology. Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's all sorted out by God. I don't worry about it. I like the words of the evangelist D.L. Moody who said, Lord, save the elect and then elect some more. C.H. <laughs> Spurgeon was once asked if he could reconcile election and free will. He said, I don't even try. I never reconcile friends. Look, the truth of the... C.H. Spurgeon, uh, notable Calvinist. Notable Calvinist. <laughs> rep representer of a system that Greg Laurie Greg rejects Laurie has just rejected, <laughs> yes. He's just rejected and then quoted him to right. say what I think we're saying, right? That you don't have to... You yeah. don't have to reconcile friends that both of these things are clearly, you know, uh, worked out within scripture itself. And the way that Laurie is presenting them is that they are at odds in some way. I'm really happy that Greg Laurie is coming back around to prove my prediction, right? That he's going to say, and it doesn't even matter anyways, <laughs> after he's boldly rejected it. And, and free will are in the Bible. Sometimes they're right next to each other. My job is to proclaim the gospel. My job is to call people to Christ. Our job is to get the message out to as many people as possible. Well, how do you know if you're chosen by God? Believe in Jesus Christ and you just confirm you've been chosen by God. But God gives you a choice in the matter.
Okay. <laughs> so I will say right at the end, if, if you are a person wondering if you are chosen by God, the question is, are you presently trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? That is true. But again, I'll just say this is one of the reasons you we got the new Calvinist thing we got. Because the don't tell me anything matters other than going out and preaching the gospel. Don't tell me anything that matters except are you telling people they have a choice in receiving Jesus? I think the, the great challenge for evangelicals, even new Calvinists, in how we think about the gospel, in how we talk about it with others, is what do I do? Because so much of modern evangelism is based on this person must have a choice, right? We have to be able to tell, right? I think there are people who reject Calvinism because it means we can't tell every person we meet, Jesus died for you individually, Right. But that's something that is not ours to say. Exactly. Anyway, right? It's not something that we should be saying to anybody. Um, and at least not in that way. Right. Right. So right. Like I'm sitting down and I'm saying, I know for a fact, I'm looking inside of your heart. Well, you don't know that. Right. How many of us have the experience of working in ministry of some in some way or being in church with somebody who we're like, they are a believer. I know I trust them. I pray with them. I minister with them, right? I like, I've been discipled with them. I've been discipled by them. Maybe they're our pastor, maybe whoever, whoever they are. And then all of a sudden they walk away from the faith. What that teaches us in part is that we look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart that we cannot see the heart. Now it doesn't mean that there's not certain, you know, things that we do at like judging the fruit that is in people's lives, or, you know, there's, there's not uh, a, some role to play in looking at somebody's life and knowing where that comes from. But it is to say that like, ultimately our judgments of things are going to be fallible and they're limited because we are limited. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, you, we can listen to a video like this and like, there, like, there's a fair amount of it that we were like, yeah, he does end by saying, Hey, if you are concerned and this, this is a common concern within Calvinist circles, especially if you have, uh, you know, been raised in a more general evangelicalism, and now you've come to a, a, a kind of Calvinism, and uh, you're concerned, like, what if I'm not elect? And our, what we would say to you is the same thing, right? Believe, right? Believe in Christ, um, you know, like, search, search your heart, trust in him once again, you know, as, as uh, uh, Luther somewhere said, you know, look again to Jesus. Uh, look to Jesus. If you want to know whether or not you're saved, if you want to know whether or not um, you are of the elect, well, just look to Christ. Uh, trust in him. There's, I have no problem with that. And then to then follow that up by saying, you know, the big point, you know, notice where he actually ends is you have a choice yes. in the matter. And what is that doing? It's, you know, so I would say you, you do have to make a choice. Now, what we would do is say, well, you're making that choice according to your desire, you're making a choice according to um, the, you know, where your heart is at, at this point. And in order for that choice to be anything other than rebellion to God, it has to be something where God has already been at work, right? The Holy Spirit has already right. transformed your heart. You've already been given the gift of faith. Um, and so in a sense, I can, you know, say that sort of thing. But what does it, what does it do when you feel like you have to bring things back around to you have a personal choice. You're doing that because the actual God that we are discussing, the actual God is the individual. Mm. The actual sovereign one is the individual. The actual one who matters in the end, 
the choice that matters in the end. It's the choice of the individual. Yeah. And I think that this is, it is ultimately the, the destruction of the assurance that Greg Laurie thinks he can offer. Because once you play the game of it is, it is all your choice now, you will ask for the rest of your life, like every youth group in America, did I choose enough? Do I need to rededicate my life to Christ again? How many, you will have to keep choosing. Whereas assurance is looking to Christ. Christ is the source of our assurance alone. His actions for us alone, the actions of God before time began in time and in my own life by the power of the Spirit. That's right. You were chosen in him, right? right. So it all goes back to him. So this is, uh, let me just, you know, I think it's important maybe that we read from Ephesians 1. Uh, Ephesians 1, 11, uh, in him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so uh, here you just have this idea that like everything, everything is being done according to the counsel of God's will. Mm -hmm. So everything is about him. And that's ultimately, you know, what we want is for our theology to be uh, God-centered, right? It's theology. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a knowledge about God. It's knowing things about God. It's, it's about him. And uh, so often, again, we're just trying to cater to the personal sensibilities that we have in a time when like personal autonomy is so central to how we think the world operates. Uh, but I, I actually think that one of the reasons that new Calvinism took off so quickly is in part because of, I, I think in part, as we've talked about in the past, that there was this desire for something deeper, right? This just kind of base level, uh, go and preach the gospel, but the substance of the, that gospel is just very limited. Right. Um, like there were all these questions that it left. And, and so there was this desire for something deeper on the one hand. I also think that people who are dead in their sins, when given the idol of self-autonomy over and over again, even if it's done in the name of Christ, it, it falls flat. It doesn't keep working. It doesn't keep going. This is why so many people, I can, I, I know people who specifically while listening to the ministry of Greg Laurie walked away from the faith, you know, like it's just, it's such an empty thing in the end. And does God use it to save people? Yes. Because guys like Greg Laurie still do sometimes preach the true gospel from the Bible, you yep. know, like the, the true word of God. And because God is a God who saves, because he's the one who's doing it, it doesn't matter that the one who's, you know, delivering the messages is fallible. Uh, but yeah, and so I just think that this does, it, it gives you confidence in election in, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're struggling with faith and, and not sure of yourself and not sure of, you know, uh, what's happening, it allows you a confidence because you can turn to God once again and say, it's all of him, right? It's, it's all in Christ. It gives you a confidence in the proclamation of the gospel, because yes. I know it's not all based upon, you know, these, these people that time and time reject uh, the, the grace of God. I know that God is the one working and that he does intend to save the world in Christ, that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Because call it what you want. The God who does not fail to do what he sets out to accomplish is biblical. God will save who he's going to save. And that is why in our gospel proclamation, our gospel proclamation isn't limited. You can tell the person you're sitting across from Jesus died for sinners like you and me. That's if right. you believe, believe this message, repent of your sins and be baptized. Right. This this is there is no limitation here. Yep. 
but it is empowered by the fact that God cannot fail. We believe God cannot fail. And that is why we believe imperfect people like us can be saved and can work through people like us, and it cannot be thwarted. So is Calvinism biblical? Yes. Thanks for listening to Restless, where we went back to the old uh, Calvinism topic. Right on back. Greg, Laurie, we would love to have you on the show. If you want to uh, come on and, and defend what you were saying, we'd love it. If you would like to defend a non-Calvinist point of view, we'd love to have you if you are a kind and generous person. That's uh, right. If, so. you, if you gave us one star, we'd like to hear from you. And we'd like everyone else to give us five stars. Five <laughs> star reviews. <laughs>